I'm Moisir, and you're listening to Undercurrent, a podcast complementing the Undercurrent art space at 70 John Street in Brooklyn. It's just me today, as we return from something like a summer vacation, and in a bit you'll hear my and Adriana's interview with H. Lantau Lam. But first, I wanted to let you know that Break Room, a show co-curated by Adriana, opened at Undercurrent last week and will run through September 5th. It's a group show featuring work by the various artists who have helped out at the space since its inception in 2019. Again, Adriana Furlong is a co-curator, and she has been joined in the task by Jonah Schwimmer and René Adolfos Marte. So do check it out. I was briefly at the opening last week, and the show is impressive in both the diversity of the artistic practices on display and in the curation by Adriana and the others. Now, back at the start of the summer, shortly after the end of the Unmute 10002 project, Adriana and I interviewed some of the artists who participated because we felt there might be a third installment to the Unmute project, and yes, here it is. Co-curated by Dynamatis and Melinda Wong, Unmute is an international group exhibition of works by 28 artists across multiple disciplines. On view at the Austrian Cultural Forum New York and Undercurrent, the exhibition is the culmination of an 18-month-long project that provided European and New York City-based artists an opportunity for critical exchange and collaboration during the COVID-19 global pandemic. The exhibition will bring back pairings from both 10001 and 10002, and some work will be up at Undercurrent, and the majority of pieces will be up at the Austrian Cultural Forum on 11 East 52nd Street on Manhattan. We'll have more information available as the opening, set for September 22nd, approaches, but you can already read more by going to the project's website, unmute.nyc, which includes all three iterations of the project. Among the artists represented is today's interviewee, H. Lantau Lam, whose collaboration with Sana de Wilde of Flanders, Belgium, will be up at both Undercurrent and the Austrian Cultural Forum. Lantau is Assistant Professor of Fine Arts in the School of Art, Media, and Technology at Parsons. Born in Mai Tau, Vietnam, they hold an MFA from California Institute of the Arts, were a Whitney Museum Independent Study Fellow and consider their experiences in refugee camps and housing projects also a part of their education. Trained in architecture, Lantau's practice begins with research, then moves to incorporate object making, installation, film, video, writing, and performance. Since 2001, with Lana Lin, they have been active as a member of Lin Plus Lam, producing projects about immigration, sites of residual trauma, national identity, and historical memory. Just sort of start with a uh, with thanking you for joining us. So, Adriana, do you want to take the take the reins from here? Yeah. Hi, Lantau. It's so funny because I was reading, you know, more about you, and you teach at Parsons, which is where I go. And oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a incoming senior, so it was kind of funny. I think I've seen you in the Fine Arts Building actually a few times. It's a, uh, wow, it is a very small world. Um, a very small world. <laughs> uh, 25Es is our home. Uh, what program may I ask that you are? Uh, I'm in fine arts and visual you studies. Are? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. So we're just fourth floor and fifth floor. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess I would just start off by asking you to discuss how you felt during the residency, um, obviously you've 
during the sorry during the unmute during the residency. unmute residency um obviously you've done residencies that were on site before so i guess it's been really interesting to hear about what people thought about this existing purely on the digital so yeah i'd love to hear what you thought your thoughts about that um yeah it is quite an interesting experience um first of all actually thank you for having me um and um inviting me for this conversation but also for this opportunity to do this residency. When Dana reached out and asked if I'd be interested, it was kind of this moment of like, huh, how is this going to work? <laughs> um, yes. And that, um, but with that curiosity that, um, so then I would just kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll see how it would unfold over time. And um, this is the world that we live in now right, in the virtual or separate from one another for a while. And uh, how do, and my question's always been, how do we uh, as artists continue to make work, to produce, to make meaning, to find meaning, uh, whether or not we have those fancy machines, um, the fancy spaces, right, the white cube, the access to that. What if all of those things are not possible? Um, because they, often aren't uh, always available to upcoming young artists uh, such as yourself or, um, or just like people who has multiple jobs. Artists have day jobs, night mm -hmm. jobs, and in-between jobs so, mm -hmm. and freelance so that they have to make do, right? So then how do you actually, how does one make do in this time where the home this, and the studio and the office are all collapsing and commingling. And this kind of space is so, it's probably for artists, it's already been very um, uh, uh, mutable, right? But I think during this time, it's even more. So the pandemic uh, and this uh, virtual residency also, the interest for that for me was that I'm introduced to a new person, a new practice, a new collaborator, because um, I don't know if you know, but my for the last 20 years, I've been collaborating with my life partner, Lana Lin. So, so I'm kind of like, oh, I'm stepping out on the side here, having a new collaborator. <laughs> Um, and uh, not that, you know, um, that she, uh, she's also have collaborated with other people too. And um, so I, I was curious to see how, what this new person can actually challenge and bring to this conversation that I have, because sometimes that's also an important thing to in, have um, an infusion of information and be challenged, right? of our perspective, whatever that might be, mm -hmm. what do we think and how we know what we know. It has been challenging uh, in a way because of that, meeting somebody new and new, uh, engaging, but it also been really uh, strangely wonderful, even though we have struggled to find time um, to meet with one another uh, virtually because of the time difference between two continents. And then with the consultation, uh, it's three continents, uh, North America, Europe, and Australia, right? So there was no real one sweet spot. Um, but that's actually kind of expanded the world 
uh, how, and I think the pandemic actually expanded the world for us, that we're not just so New York centric anymore. And that I think is a moment of uh, freeing, but also recognizing that we have similarities, but also differences and challenges that we on a human level have to acknowledge in the political, in the social moment that we're in, right? And not only with the pandemic, but also the social upheaval and the reckoning that we uh, we should be engaging in um, for so, a long time coming. So, so all of that is part of the conversation, but also to kind of dive into what the goal for the undercurrent also for the residencies to produce something. And that was a struggle. How do we produce something when we're both uh, at a distance? So um, our conversation first and foremost was to get to know one another and to find some sort of common ground or common interest or something that we can actually grow with one another and what we're craving for. And with Sanya, uh, she was really craving for something more tactile. And for me, being an artist who really makes things and in this process during the pandemic, uh, I have to kind of rebuild, uh, move my studio and have relocate my studio so I can continue making. It has been a very kind of hands-on process. Um, so uh, I just wanted to reframe things a little bit because you've brought up a lot of topics that I hope we'll get back to, but I do want to uh, focus a little bit more specifically on the project that you and Sana Dewilda, you made up Team Bug, and I saw your presentation at the unveiling, but uh, Adriana still hasn't, though if people from the future see this, they will wonder why Adriana is in the video announcing the unveiling, but that's the magic of video editing. So can you tell me a little bit about the project? Because it, 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 it was very exciting the way you tore open a, a package you received just that day in the mail or however it was. And Yeah, it's fortuitous, uh, right, um, that, uh, that it didn't arrive that day. Um, uh, it was arriving that week. And so, um, so I open it, just take a peek, quick, quick peek. And then I remember that Dana uh, sent me the email to remind us that the, here's the unveiling. So, um, so why not? So it was all kind of fresh for me as well. And the project was that um, Sanya saw, was kind of studying, we were studying each other work right, to get to know one another. And one day she was looking at my website and one of my kind of rather old project that she brought up was called um, Lost in Translation. So I was in California, it's a new environment for me. And um, as an, um, an artist who works with material, um, I go to the hardware store to get things to set up another studio situation. And I was uh, struck by this window film that they have so readily available in a different kind of quantity. I was in, um, before coming to California, I was living in Ontario. So the different kind of quality of weather, 
let's just say, right? Um, so the sunlight is so harsh in California that they have this uh, window film. So it was a new material for me. So it was um, the window film, they apply on the windows and to any scale, and therefore you can protect your furnishing from fading with the sunlight. So that was uh, an impetus for me to find a way to work with this new material. So I installed it. I had an, an opportunity to uh, uh, install this in a house uh, that uh, was a part of a group exhibition in uh, Valencia, California. It's kind of suburban uh, home, uh, track home. Uh, and I installed in some of the windows and I spent the day studying the, the way in which the sun entering the apartment. And that was the only way in which I enter the apartment, my work. So I applied the window film and then cut out text that talks about the American, American dream. So, that's, uh, so that text, in the shadow that is casting on the walls or on the floor uh, of the domestic space is in the kitchen, living room, or in the bedroom that actually talks about the accessibility or in the possibility of inaccessibility of the American dream. So Sonia was kind of thinking about what a wonderful way that could be that I, she invited me to enter her home now in uh, in Amsterdam, uh, so that we can we can kind of have a more tactile experience. So she sent me these. Um, so then I said, Well, I need to know your windows um, and your space. So I need to know the real their sizes. So she uh, taped them all up, paper uh, to have the measurement, and sent me the actual um, windows. So at the unveiling, I opened up the package that took several weeks to get to, uh, to me here in Connecticut. And um, I opened up and this wonderful kind of very um, mixed material paper that she just found on hand with different kind of tape so that I can lay out and get to know uh, her space for the very first time. So now the, that was that is the work in progress, obviously. So now we're in conversation about what kind of imagery, what kind of text um, that would be entering. And so then I will kind of redesign uh, it so that she'll buy the window film and uh, apply and cut the window film to fit the windows and then cut out the, the, um, the text or images. So we've been talking a lot about animals that visit me in this property that I'm living in, raccoons, Canadian geese, bobcat, deers, and um, things like that. But also we talk a lot about light, how her work is photography based, very much of uh, photography based, but also she had a training in, in painting. So that's also um, kind of understanding how light is translated, right? Light allows us to translate um, uh, our environment. Um, in I study architecture, so those that's why those windows, any sort of windows, is something of to think about as the eyes of the of, of the buildings, right? So that we and that's when nature is this kind of this permeable uh, possibility here that it enters the space. Sorry, there's something very uh, amusing about how this worked out then, because uh, not only did you have the the spectacle at the unveiling, 
but every opportunity was there for Sana to just measure the windows and give you measurements, right? So instead, there was the tactile material process of building the, the, the paper mask and then sending it to you. And then you unfurl these on your floor or hang them on the wall or whatever and plan a design around them. But you aren't sending film back to her. She's going to produce your vision on site, right? Yes. What's so tantalizing about this project this and and uh some of the other projects had this a little bit but i think that in in your project it's it's clearest is this not subversion but circumvention of the zoom paradigm you two had used the you did not create something digital out of it although i don't know how you will be transferring your visions to tucson like i don't know if you'll be emailing her like an illustrator file or an autocad file or something like that for a laser cutter which is what i would do but i i'm more firmly into like i i I wouldn't have had the idea of doing this kind of runaround this this giant digital black hole in the middle of this project that is what brought it together but doesn't mean that it's how the project should take shape Yes. Uh, well, one of the thing is, I mean, that's really a lovely way to kind of bring it all together. Kind of, uh, I love how you're reading the project, uh, and it's really true. Is that one, the one thing that in our conversation, the team bug conversation, was that how we miss the tactile, right? Um, how how uh, how we miss this physicality and materiality, and that's kind of as a sculptor, as an installation artist, um, primarily, that is important to me. I, I, material is research, and processes is also a, a critical uh, moment for me, a critical engagement. So, all of that is important, right? Um, how I respond to Clay is very different than how Adriana would be responding to Clay. Likewise with wood, I because I teach, um, I, I know that we, I think all artists, I know this is what I tell my students too, is that all artists have a gravitational pull in one material, two material, then the other. And that's okay. So I use other tools. I just came off finishing a film that is all digital. And it's facilitated by collaboration with artists, uh, animation artists in India, a sound designer based in uh, Mumbai, an animation artist cut out animation in New York City and in, in Washington Heights. So. The, all of that has been facilitated in Zoom. So stepping off that and getting engagement in this and hearing how Asanya was really craving for the tactility of, uh, of material again, because she works also digitally, so that we are kind of like needing this, this other material. And so my, and yes, it's absolutely true. She could have just sent me the, email me all the uh, dimension and drawings um, digitally. But I thought, you know, is this Sonia's craving for this moment of interacting with her space? What's a better way? 
So maybe that's a moment of uh, subversion on my part of the teacher in me is like, well, you're craving it. And uh, here's an opportunity. And Sonia also just moved into this new apartment. She's getting to know it. So that kind of understanding our space involving our body and connecting to uh, just how why things can be, right? And where things can sit and seeing how light passes through and how you respond to a certain corner that becomes a kind of special. So uh, uh, who is that? Blanche Lott talk in poetic space, right? Talk about this. Space has meaning, space, uh, space have memories, and we create new memories with that. I, I just wanted to quickly add that uh, there's an old school digitality to the project in and of itself, because what you're effectively doing is creating giant computer screens that are lit by the sun, as opposed to by a cathode ray gun that uh, that is projecting an image onto one's face while they're looking at the computer screen. That's all. That's a lovely thought, Monsieur. Thank you. Adriana, please. That's sorry. funny. I was actually going to say something similar. You have like what I was thinking about materiality and the digital, like this is something I felt doing Zoom classes for the last semester. It's like instantaneous interaction and instantaneous, if you're working within the digital results, basically. And so something about working with material like wood or metal is it takes time to romance it or be, be its friend. Like you can't just pick up a welding machine and create beauty. You have to really work with the material. And so there's that aspect of saying, well, wait a second, we're going to wait on this interaction, um, both as a material, because you're sending it takes, what, three weeks, but then also using the sun as a way to delay the messaging or delay the, the, the point of contact with a message and receiving the message, which like really drew me to that because like, you know, we exist in such this like instantaneous, you know, access to information. Yeah. And like also the the way of framing messages is really fascinating. Um, and using the sun also as a way of subverting the authority of when that gets given to somebody, that, that sentence or message. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of the fun thing about, uh, and I, was, I, haven't been, I haven't thought about this project for a long time. Uh, my old um, project, because uh, it was made in 1997. Mm. And I did it a, another time at the, uh, in California, in LA, in the Bradbury building, where they film um, uh, Blade Runner. Um, so I had also another uh, window film, a storefront window film, uh, windows that I can play with. So yes, I think that time and the sun and is and in that point of time, and I was in California, really shifted my understanding of light, mm. right? It is a phenomenon. It happens, and there's only a certain time of day that the sun will come into your room a different time, right? One room, a bathroom, kitchen. The 360 degrees, if that's that, or maybe only in New York City. The the one thing that I knew about New York City is like in terms of real estate is how many windows do you get, and how many windows 
do you get that actually gets light in and mm-hmm. it's not blocked by another building, mm-hmm. right? So that our connection to the world, right? The exterior, the public, and the circum- how, how, how the sun can circumvent that space is really interesting. Um, and I was really, uh, really interested in thinking about how can my work exist outside of the gallery space? How can I can, so going back to pandemic time and how to think about how can artists make work and make meaning without the access to certain things, without the weld, the welding machine, right? Without the lovely machines and tools, because that is a different kind of investment and investment in equipment, investment in time, investment in space. All of that is economics. Mm-hmm. And all of that is important for artists to, uh, to reckon with. How do, I, how do I make art and still pay rent and still can eat, right? That is always key for me as an artist that without compromise, it's not about compromising to think, oh, I don't have access to the metal shop, to the wood shop, to the fancy machine, to the laser cutter. I don't have it. Instead of that, what can you do? What can I do at this moment in time that actually pushes me as an artist? That's when I kind of think that that's when my creative juices is going and because I am challenged. And maybe that's my background in terms of growing up in Vietnam during the war, having very little access to things that now children will actually have, uh, living in a refugee camp in Malaysia and how people actually build a temporary shelter out of downed trees. And our beds were made of branches that's from the location. Our bed and then to soften the bed was corrugated cardboard, flatten those boxes that the shipment of food that came into the island and then became our bed. So material reuse and reinvention has always been kind of like my teacher. So as an artist, I'm always kind of thinking, look at these things that come into my life and as moment, as prompts, as opportunity, right? And yeah. the moment that I can say, I don't have some access to something or is more of like not what, can I do at this moment in time? And it's really hard. I'm not making it seem like it's easy because sometimes you just want to throw up and say, throw up your hand and say, I don't want to make art at this moment. And Mm. so during the pandemic, the first few weeks, I didn't have access to the studio. And that was okay because, because I, as an artist, I don't need to make art all the time because there's also time that there's other things that actually have to take precedent, care for one another, care for ourselves, mental, physical, um, and the art can happen. I can, as an artist, I hope to, I continue to hope to trust that art can happen when that time comes and you, and I, as an artist, crave from that moment. So in everything else I do, I'm gonna prepare for, so that I have that space so that when art happens, that idea, inspiration strike, I can go into it 
with your like what can I do with this oh my gosh this is gonna make me cry but that, that really resonates like because I think during this time it's it's obviously we're like a worldwide trauma that we're all experiencing but it's also this space in which productivity has had to halt you know artist friends who have had to leave their studios and bring everything to their desk to arm's reach because they can't afford it they don't feel safe traveling to and fro from a studio space and just stopping and halting and taking taking stock is something that I think is so important because I don't think as artists we should be expected to produce all the time because what is what does that create it creates another material that goes into like you know the the roiling waters of the economy and you know floats around and it kind of really being very thoughtful I guess yeah really tender thoughtfulness is something I got from your work just going on your website and reading and stuff um so I don't know I don't really have a question I'm just so honored to have you speaking with us oh wow well, I really love that thank you for this um this reading of the work that is thoughtful tenderness. Um, I love that. I, I think that's really, um, I, I'm, I'm honored that it comes through in um, that, that what I aim to make, uh, to bring to the world is um, resonating with you mm -hmm. in this way. Because ultimately, I think that's, that's what I probably strive most from the moment that I realized that I'm not going to be an architect, mm -hmm. that I have to be, to be reconciling with myself that what I need to do, the conversation that I have and the voice that I have is more of an artist than as a builder, mm -hmm. as an architect, a designing of space. I, I learn a lot about the designing of space and how that actually command and situate and uh, changes the way in which we think about the world and how we exist in the world. Architecture frame that, right? Behavior and, and usage. This, the interesting thing about the pandemic is that it's throwing all of those rules out the windows, right? You now, the six feet of space, right? is something that you have to kind of really understand intrinsically, physically, right? And the moment in which we reconcile what is possible, how to exist with each other, mm. within this distance, this separation, this demanding of, of distance, of space, is actually really interesting because six feet right, or 10 feet in some part of the other world, in other part of the world, that's actually three meters during lockdown in Southeast Asia. So these certain kind of criteria and the way in which uh, we have to think through and work with is some of the things that I think artists can, will continue to do, the shift, and then no way, the pandemic is asking us to think, looking at structure, what is safe, right? And artists, and I teach sculpture um, and installation. So I'm always talking about what is safe, 
right? And self-care in the shop, in the metal shop, in the wood shop, in the wood shop, and in your studio or in, on your, in your kitchen. So how do you make mold making, do a mold making casting it on the kitchen table, but still be able to clean it up and have dinner mm. in the same kitchen table? And also as an art, continue to actually get your deposit back once you actually vacate. <laughs> I, I definitely... right? Those things are really important. The economics, they're real, and there's real skills. <laughs> they're real skills that artists can bring to the, their life, right? And that's something that I, 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 they're not separate to me, right? The artist's life, the practice is part of the everyday. My uh, my dining area uh, has become a an electronics workshop over the course of the pandemic, and now now there's there's so much stuff there that it's now even difficult for it to be an electronics workshop. I I when we're done here, I'm actually going to go work on it a little bit, and the first thing I have to do is make space to be able to do more soldering. So, I I very much understand that. Luckily, the only thing I'm destroying is is my own table so uh when the soldering iron falls off but but that what you were talking about earlier and and this goes a little bit to a question adriana didn't pose but she has posed in the past is i was really struck by this idea of what do you do when there's no white cube and you you also put that in a kind of you know the the rhetoric of bricolage with this idea of of making do you know you 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 use what's at hand the tools that are at hand and for me the pen you know from the privileged position that i'm in like making do during the pandemic was rather easy it wasn't terribly difficult but what we've been wondering about is if the and this is uh the uh, question adriana posed in the past was whether there have been these opportunities for making do and these opportunities for artists to figure out new ways of connecting and making new forms of community outside of chasing after a white cube where they can show their work in its physical presence. Uh, What kinds of futures do you imagine for these communities and will this expand questions of access and equity for different kinds of artists who aren't necessarily coming through the highly pedigreed model of where the goal is to end up in a white cube basically really good question I'll answer it in a kind of more historical way I think because I think art happens in many, many spaces, right? Um, we have the graffiti, right? We have activism. Um, we have different way of art is, art in the white cube is one part of the cultural production. I don't think that is the only, and it's never always been, because if we go look back how art is seen, um, or made 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. Isn't it everyday life? Isn't it everyday objects sometimes? And the architectures, space, and I don't know. Uh, the cave paintings, right? 
at the risk of being too utopic, I am hopeful that during this time that artists, um, I think what is a moment of re-evaluation, what's important for your practice? What's key? What do you really need? Right? We all, and in a way, that's how we are living. What's key? What do you really, really need? And what's really important? And what important is from, and so I'll go back to is that's actually what important is now? What we have is now. What we have is now and what we can have with each other and with whom, which, which other is really important too. It's like, who do I reach out to um, at this moment in time? and who I want, right? Because whatever that is, that's your social relation. It's like if that we're now having to choose or getting to choose be, um, so that we can make meaningful contribution. And how do we do that at this moment in time? I think the white cube will change or the system, the gallery, I hope that it's already looking at ways to change and systemic. Uh, change for um, for the certain kind of biases that will actually should go away, right? And new voices to enter that, new practices. And I think about the digital as a way that people are now making do, but maybe speaking to Sanya and others that the crave for this uh, reconnection and the tangibility is something that um, people are thinking about, but also hesitant. So I don't have a, um, I don't have an exact answer, but I think I'm super hopeful that we actually are learning new skills because I think art happened during the protest of Black Lives Matters, right? I've been doing a lot of training for active bystanding conversation intervention, right? Um, for anti-Asian violence. And so how do, how, how do we actually contribute to the world? And sometimes that for me, soon part of the training I'm doing is not an art project. It's a, it's a responsibility I wanna take on right now, right? And going forward that I need new tools. So I think that's still as where is it that we all, maybe that pandemic is teaching us is that we need new tools and we need to relearn new th some things and also understand that we have to set aside certain assumptions and pa putting pause on certain kind of other practices and think of the world that once we do re-enter the world, I hope that we actually gather what we learn from this year to make a better world and make a better art world rather than going back to the way it has been. Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I was in a panel with some peers a couple weeks ago and we were discussing this digital turn and what it means. You know, there's always this conflict, what you're saying, like being you too utopic or buying in too much to like a grass is greener mentality. And it's really, it's hard because we have very fraught histories, you know, and trauma that's still 
residing in the past. And so that kind of, you know, I'd say tension between the digital, which is fairly new, new terrain, and then the past, which kind of pulls at us, um, is something that I think about a lot. And I think a lot of people are reckoning with that in the art world, like, does the digital, is the digital going to be a clean slate? And what does that mean? What is, what's complicit or implicit in, in a clean slate? Are we just reenacting various traumas by, you know, doing this, you know, new, new pasture kind of mentality, which is really tied to colonialist um, mentality. I think what I would say about the digital, which is interesting, and I, I think that this is something you tap into with your use of archives is like having the autonomy within one's own narrative, whether that be from the past or the future and how the past and the future are so linked. Um, so like framing your own narrative. And I think the digital has that subjectivity that needs the technology to work. I mean, you log onto your computer, you have your, your own email, you have your own whole world on there so it's kind of world creating but from your own standpoint which I find interesting and makes me think of your work yeah yeah thank you for bringing up the archives which is something that uh definitely is uh been a kind of long love and it is a continue for me to mine the past and but the past is as you said is actually also very much in the present what we learn from the past uh, and that is, and how we build the future. I don't know if it's actually the new terrain entirely of new media or digital is new. In fact, I love this uh, book. I think it's uh, what is called, it's called um, Always Already New. Mm. Right? Um, write that down. Yeah. And that this notion of like, this is, that is perpetual that we always want to invent something. But in fact, in fact, the digital is not that new. The space and how we are now using the virtual, the digital space to connect to one another to this extent is new. But um, 2010, I started teaching in my career as, as, uh, as an educator, I started teaching on a um, low residency program. So we actually use Zoom back then. I have lecture in Zoom. I have, I have appointments uh, with Zoom. I have thesis uh, discussions and uh, going over the final project in Zoom. So for me, it's not that new, and the, but the, the way in which we use it to this extent that everybody needs to do it. Um, is new. But I, I, I think that there's a moment, and that's probably going back to, uh, I think that I was going to be uh, with Mosir um, saying, and I said, I'm going to be art historical. Is that what I think about? It's a post-studio moment too. Like I go, like we are the cave, the Plato's cave, but also the post-studio after night um, in the 60s, right? In 70s where it's now, it's not about the studio, it's all conceptual. You don't need the studio, right? And artists would just spend time and create or conceptualize and it's fabricated elsewhere, post-studio. And there's that moment that that is 
uh, was there the 80s and 90s, right? But artists, young artists such as yourself, demand tactility, demand a certain kind of work. And we see that returning. The return to the materials is here. And it's, I'm wondering, I don't know. I, I, I wish I'm um, a fortune teller, but that's another project that, that's kind of there, right? That to kind of see the future, I don't know what that is, but what I think that what is as important for artists or for me in terms of thinking about my practice is what do I learn from the past? And how well is it the past at this moment in time can actually speak to the current condition but also the possibility of the future. But I, I, I think part of my work is not about making or having any solution. It's actually just kind of flip the mirror and just pointing to the problems and the spaces in which pow power, right? Power, structural, um, governmental, uh, nationalistic, um, this kind of power actually shapes our lives and what kind of um, what kind of problems that brings up. I want to as an artist, I think I'm more reflective on that than um, the problem solving. Right? That's the other part of me and the kind of like that skill building of this architecture very much and design study that is about problem solving. And that part of me is that will always be there. But I think as an artist, I step out of that problem solving to kind of not to think about creative solutions so much, but to think about like, what do I actually have to question this past and how actually hasn't changed that much, unfortunately. So systemic change is we have we can speak about systemic change only if we understand where that's coming from, how that is structured, colonial imperialism, colonialism, all of that, racial injustice, that's is systemic and structural, and how we need to understand that to actually make a better future. I think you already in response to the to the idea of the always already new, for me at least, you gestured toward this with talking about care, and I think about like a hermeneutics of care and how we, you know, as a librarian, I am very interested allegedly in archival practices and in preservation and these sorts of things, and the way that reflects itself is in instead of in, in inventing things, it's about taking what already exists, taking the archive and ensuring its availability for, uh, for future generations and so on. And, and it's this change of approach that's less the line about Ezra Pound that Eliot starts the wasteland with, like in Il Milior Fabri or whatever it is, instead of this idea of needing to be the, the, like the, the super maker, it's instead a withdrawal and a, and a consideration of what's around us already and what is already there and what needs tending to, like tending to the hearth of a fire in a cave, for example, or in anywhere around the world. So I, maybe that's one route that the way that, you know, what, what you were saying about how artists don't always have to be creating art, they can be also 
they have to take time for to do these other things like care. So then I wonder if there's a practice that would emerge, like a care-based artistic practice. Mm. I think that is uh, emerging. And, and even scholars, I think, talking about the critical care, right? That, um, that in alignment to kind of engaging with these um, very important and questions in, uh, that is uh, that is aiming for us to be a better citizen. I think a lot about these other moments in time where we need to take on different uh, aspect of ourselves and and um, I don't know. Um, I guess in like in our inter daily interactions, we can make we can infuse and and make change happen. Um, but I guess that care is sometimes I think that's a certain kind of things that becomes a trope or a trend, and I'm wary of that too. Um, I'm very wary of that, actually, as an artist. Um, I only because then I'm not sure if that's really who I am, right? Uh, trend. I I don't as an artist. I don't, and that's why I actually go to the past more because I I as an artist I want to learn about something, right? And the moment of looking at the archives and and or a news article, um, these things actually pick my interest. So in terms of care and how I actually um, engage with the community, when I actually start thinking about the project, one of the things that I always have to learn is that no art project is worth hurting another, right? And that is so important. And working with um, vulnerable community, as they say, an ethnographic or kind of um, practice. Or, um, that's something that, you know, some of the project, I touch upon the history of Vietnam War, and there's people who do not want to speak to me about it. And I have to accept that, including my own mother. She said, no, I don't want to talk about it. It's water in the bridge. And as an aside, there's also families at stake, right? My, my mother's extended family or immediate family is still in Vietnam. So it's not safe to speak. And I have to respect that, right? And, and so my art practice cannot take precedence of her sense of safety, of her family, her family's safety. So I think that's the care that I need to take too. There's kind of responsibility. And I think um, working in kind of uh, the kind of moving into the mode of filmmaking and a little bit more documentary or kind of, I say creative nonfiction is that allows me to engage with people, but also have, uh, have to respect a certain kind of distance and recognizing my own privilege Right. I have certain kind of access, 
I have a certain kind of access to bandwidth and others don't. And so I have to be careful. I, I think also uh, to kind of like not to be too utopic, again, to point back to the digital domain and to think about the digital is to remember that who has access to, right? Adriana, you were talking about that. And, you know, at, um, when we went into lockdown, there were people who did not have access to fa um, fast internet in different community, even in New York City, right? And so that's, the digital is not a kind of like tabla terusa, like they said. Not right? unbiased, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the social economics and the students who have to go to the parking lot to get free Wi-Fi, risking their lives doing, uh, doing lockdown to do homework, right? And so how, how can we as a society take care of that? I know I was, I was doing research on um, like court hearings that have been had to move online and this, I mean, you might even reference like Hiro Steirel's, you know, you know, defense of the poor image and this kind of, not all images are created equal. And what you're saying, the quality or the speed of an image being transmuted really affects real life things. Like the, the amount of sentencing or the amount of years they would get sentenced and thinking about how we so easily rely and um, utilize these digital technologies that again are are used to surveil to data collect to to watch us while we're watching them um, it's really it's 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 definitely hard to contend with that and it's properties for community yeah I think Laura Marx actually had uh, been doing the research on uh, the, the consumption in which, you know, first world or the world is during this time of the streaming, the bandwidth, and what that actually uh, takes up in real material costs, right? Because all this electricity, right? Um, I have the light on, you have your light on. Um, we're using the electricity with all our devices that have real cost too and how many thousands of acres of, of trees of the, uh, of the forest are we taking, right? Yeah, I think about that in terms of so go back to kind of like materiality too for artists, right? To have access to different material, literal material, clay or canvas or paint or tools they are real material and they actually also have a cost, like I said before. And so that um, is a question of sustainability. That's, that's always the word that I was thinking about. How do artists sustain themselves in these multiple ways and sustain their own practice? But it still doesn't kind of like, we're in debt. We're in debt in so many ways, right? Schools, um, um, karma, um, so how do we just make our practice sustainable? That's an interesting illusion between uh, talking about a sustainable practice and then about self-sustainability too, because it, it circles around to what we've been talking about, that there's a, uh, an insertion of sorts of, of or a, a impossibility of detaching the artist from 
the art in this way. Like, like the sustainability of both is important and the quality of the work is as important as the, well, not as important, but is important as well as the quality of the life of the artist. It has to be, you know, it, it, that's also important. And so I kind of like that little move there. I'm mindful of your time and Adrian, I don't know if you have any more questions because I have one more one more kind of topic I want to broach. So Oh, go for it. I'm just basking in this conversation. Okay, excellent. During the course of Unmute, you emailed Daina to ask her to change the URL on your artist bio page. And this was a change from uh, I don't remember what the what the two URLs are, but it was from one page that was devoted to H. Lantau Lam to another page that's devoted to Lin and Lam. And you already referenced your your you know multi-decade uh, career of of collaborating with uh, Lana Lin, and I wanted to and and you already sort of spoiled the question a little bit by talking about the sort of uh, stepping out, uh, as, as you said, uh, with, with, uh, with Sana to, to create this other collaborative thing. But, um, you know, questions about autonomy and uh, like Adriana talked about autonomy a little bit. And I was curious about the way that you see a profound level of collaboration in your practice with these, uh, so you know, as somewhere on some kind of spectrum of communal building, you know, and it's because it, I don't think it, you know, I would I would like to hear more about about this and and a sort of um, uh, denial of self in some way or a sublimation of the ego, you know, it's, a, it's something in 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 this sort of vein is something I'm terribly interested in because I have I have my own extended fantasies about the power of collaborative work that I'm eager to see through and this this podcast is one example of it like this if if it was just me this podcast would be terrible um if it was just Adriana maybe it would be pretty good but but with the two of us it 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 works um as well as it does uh and and this is and to the point where out of its collaborative energies, we have these emergent properties, et cetera. And, you know, neither she nor I have theorized about this podcast enough to, to think about things like ego death or anything like that. But, uh, but I do want to ask you about how, how you view autonomy with your, in your collaborations as Lynn and lamb. <laughs> um, that's so funny. Um, ego death. Um, okay, so we have, can even talk about Freud a little bit, a psychoanalysis, um, um, in terms of the ego. But, you know, <laughs> I get asked when uh, Lana and I do our kind of like song and dance in terms of artist talk and presentation, it comes to a certain point that people ask about collaboration and how do you manage that? Um, because not only we're art collaborator, we're also collaborating in our lives, um, personal lives too. Um, she's my life partner, um, has been for 21 years, going on 22 and our art practice takes place after that. 
So twin, so it's twin. So we were together for a year before we actually become uh, art um, collaborator. And one of the reasons why we decided to come together and make work on the first project was that we realized we have a shared common interest and a common need to say something. And that we also have, but what's kind of feed us, and it's just like you said, Monsieur and Adriana, like we bounce ideas off each other. We come from a different place. Um, Lana has a training in uh, experimental film, 16 millimeter, right? And I have installation architecture, sculpture. So we come together with different background. And the strength for us is that we learn. We learn over time. It didn't happen overnight. We learn over time is that to trust each other's strength. So we learned that also we don't edit over each other's shoulders. So somebody has to take the lead at something and trust the other, and the other have to trust it. And then we'll come back and we'll discuss it. Uh, for each take, each part of conception. So I don't know about a thought in terms of collaboration, in terms of the death of the ego in any way. And actually we fight a lot because we think we're right. One of us is right. So I would say, absolutely, I need X, Y, and Z. And then Lana would just kind of, and I say, I can do it. I can do it really well. And it will look beautiful. This is one of our first conversation. And then Lana would just kind of say, but why does it have to be beautiful? And it just like rips it out. Everything that I think that I can cap be capable as an artist to do to make something looks good and just be the bomb. Well, that question, why? And that actually is probably not about autonomy, but it's about challenging oneself and allow to be able to grow. To for me to re be reconciled with that is that beautiful is not enough. Right. If I really engage with my critical self, if I say I'm politicized and conceptualized artist, conceptual artist practicing, why does it have to be beautiful? I can argue it is like beautiful can actually, where it's different than Hito's style of saying the poor image. I think beauty is so important from in what I do, what I try to do anyway, is because I want to somehow really seduce the viewer so that they stay and engage with me in the difficult conversation, right? That is not so beautiful. War is messy. Power uh, and the way in which nationhood changes our lives, borders are created, the military industrial complex is messy and truthfully evil. So how do I do that with, so that people, the viewer can, it doesn't actually, yeah, yeah, we know it. It's all bad, they walk away, but how do I, I can do that. That's my responsibility as an artist. How do I do it so that they stay? So collaboration in terms of my autonomy is actually is the moment as I can take lead or something. Let me try this way. Or Lana can say, the autonomy is, I would say, she knows Premiere, she knows editing so well, 
I'm that who autonomy, right? I will respect that's with strength. So we'll take like for us, then that's take that's that's save us time, right? So that she can take the first step and then we can come back together and critique. Self-critique. But I but it doesn't make the process much any faster. In fact, I would say it takes it four times, three times as long as if I'm doing a, as a solo project because the conversation that we have, the kind of um, the tension and the, the requirement that we have to be able to articulate to each other, what is it that the work that we need from the work, right? So I don't, I, so I often say it's like, it's not about check your ego at the door in collaboration in that way that leave it out be there because we're all, we all have egos, right? So checking it is for me is not leaving it behind. Checking it is like to come to a kind of certain reality and sense of what is it that I need for my ego as an artist to continue in this project. And for that moment, it might be really beautiful, something, right? That I have to sculpt it to this way that it will look good. Or as an installation that somebody would actually feel the tenderness, right? That's so beautiful to say. Like they can feel something, right? That's my responsibility. That's my ego right there, right? So um, um, I think that's part of uh, the ad question. The other one was to sh why did I shift kind of um, the midway of a website? Um, <laughs> of the residency of undercurrent. You know, it's with, with my conversation with uh, Melissa Amare, our consultant for Team Bug. And she pointed out that she only get to see my work for a lot of, of you know, 20 years ago. And so she, she didn't see, she saw the gap between 1998 or 2000 until now. So I, like my practice was not visible for her. Um, from my solo website. So it's just kind of like this conversation about, oh, representation and uh, information. And even though my website has referred to a link to the collaboration, I guess it's not, um, in, it wasn't uh, forthcoming or easily navigate. And time, again, I haven't updated my website for a long time. So, um, so that's, that's part of that. Um, why I shift, but because I thought I gave um, Dana two websites, and but there's only can be listed one, so I have no idea. Um, but when it was brought to my attention that she only saw one website, and maybe it's better to have the other because when I have the conversation with Melissa, then she's left, and we she was really talking about the work in the past. And I said to Melissa, well, I'm actually really interested in getting your feedback about this project I just finished, Three Missing Letters, the film I just finished, and also this current project um, that I'm recreating sculptures from the Freud collections. Um, I really want to talk about this in notes like history, myth, and antiquities, and in relation to now, uh, um, in terms of like mythical power. And she's like, Oh, 
I don't know anything about, I don't see any of that in your, on your website. And so it's like, well, work in certain work has not come uh, to the website page. Um, so because it's a work in progress, but um, so that's, well, that's was the impetus for re, um, re, requesting a change midway. Yeah. Well, it's just just a, a tiny little change has still provided a a useful discussion on because I, I I was really struck by it and 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 read it differently. Um, but I but I do but I do understand better like how you approach this and how yeah I'll I'll just leave it at that I suppose. So Adriana said she's done. I think uh, I I have no further questions. So if our dear listeners want to find out more about you. Where should they go? What should they do? Uh, I guess they should go to my collaboration website, which links to my personal website as well. It's lintpluslam.com. And uh, yeah. Excellent. So uh, thank you very much for giving us your time. And we uh, we wish you success. And if, if Unmute opens up, or, or has some kind of fall manifestation, we'll definitely see each other then. Thank you. Thank you both. And yes, I hope uh, that we can see each other in person, if not uh, in the fall, maybe uh, down the line. But it's great to be thinking about the world, about art, and uh, uh, just this past year, um, all in the last one hour. So thank you for your thoughts and feedback and prompts. And also actually being behind the scene or in front of the scene on this series um, for undercurrent because I understand, I know um, these things cannot happen with people uh, help and assistant and working um, uh, down to the last wire. So thank you for making all of this happen. Thank uh, you so much. There's a lot of labor we've we've strived to make visible, but I think that uh, we 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 can do even more. But yes, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. All right. All right. You have Thanks. a great night. You, you too. Okay. Bye bye. Take bye. care. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you can make it out to see Adriana's show at Undercurrent in the next month. Also, don't forget to tune in again as more information about Unmute gets pushed into the podcast sphere. As always, you can find out more about Undercurrent at undercurrent.nyc, which includes links to Undercurrent social media profiles and to this podcast's archive. We're also on Instagram as undercurrent.nyc. Leave us a review, like, and subscribe to the podcast. On behalf of Undercurrent, 1984 Products, and my co-host Adriana Furlong, I'm Wasir. Until next time.